Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. And thank you, guys. Fast Money starts right now live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. I am not in Kansas anymore. No, I, not this in is Kansas. different here. Traders tonight, Pete Najarian, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami. And tonight on Fast, we are all over the big after hours movers. We're going to start with Disney. We got Activision, Dropbox, all reporting earnings moments ago. Those conference calls are underway. We'll bring you the latest details on that. And the media mogul Tom Rogers will be here to give us his reaction to Disney's earnings and what it could mean for the media space and the future of TV and entertainment and how we consume it. First, though, we start with the big story of the day. The Federal Reserve keeping rates right where they have been, but saying it is on track to continue raising them. Steve Leisman is still down in Washington. I told you oh. to get on the train, Steve. <laughs> you didn't tell the producer of the show, Tyler. No, I, I'll I put in a good word. Jason, if you could send a note next time. But meanwhile, let's talk about the aforementioned Federal Reserve, which kept interest rates unchanged in the November meeting. Uh, the range is two to two and a quarter percent for that overnight funds rate but did signal that rates are going to continue to rise. The market generally taking the language of the Fed to mean another quarter point is coming. Call it in December. It's about an 80%. It may actually be higher since we last checked that. And you can see what the outlook is for March and for September. The Fed had some really positive words about the U.S. economy, repeating a lot about what it said last time. It said the markets continue to strengthen. Economic activity is rising at a strong rate. And the unemployment rate has declined they said household spending also growing strongly, but one tweak they made making note of the recent GDP report and some other reports that business investments moderated from its prior rapid pace. Now, the Fed continues to see inflation near the 2% target. Okay, so all of this sets up a potentially fraught meeting for December where markets expect the Fed to hike, but President Trump, as you know, has complained that the central bank is moving too fast, undoing what's being done by the tax cuts to speed up the economy. Fed officials argue that the current rate is low enough to still be stimulating economic growth, given the high rate of growth and the low level of unemployment. They say policy should be, hey, at least neutral, if not even a bit above neutral. But those guys are going to be the questions for December and for 2019. And I don't know. Maybe we want to debate them now. You know, the, the, the question for me, Steve, is whether the Fed could not not raise interest rate, could not raise interest rates in in December after having been jawboned by the president. If they didn't raise them, wouldn't they be accused of caving politically? Okay, so let's do one of those all things being equal, Tyler. Let's say that the job number come in in December pretty strong. Let's say the inflation rate remains higher. Um, I think that's the case. I think the bar was high to begin with for the Fed not to hike. And I think President Trump's comments make it a little bit higher. Um, I think if you go back, there was a reason why President Clinton, President Bush, and President Obama all decided not to comment on the Fed. And this may be the very reason, because you, when you do so, when you make comments about interest rates, you raise that bar for them not to hike. All right. And now go get on the Amtrak, Steve. Steve Leisman, thanks.
All righty. Despite all the worries over the Fed's next move, the Dow managing to end the day in the green, as you see on that chart. It was an up and down day. Stocks have been slowly but surely climbing back from their October lows. The Dow up now 7% since then, less than 3% away from its all-time highs. But not much has changed since October. The Fed is still raising rates. Rates are still rising and trade fears are still looming. So what does the market think is different now, Mr. Adami? Yeah, What's but, changed? Yeah, well, 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 before we even start, you know, we've been doing this a long time, right, Pedro? <laughs> well, so 2007. If we, it, if we make it to January, it's 12 years. Right. And this is your yeah. maiden voyage. This here. is the first time Remarkable. I've ever had. I haven't had so much fun. Never seen you look sharp. This is great, man. It's like a party here. There are people all over That's the place. What's happening here? It's 5 o'clock. There's, there's beverages out there. Beverages of different types. I work on a show called Power Lunch that has neither power nor lunch. <laughs> And, well, I mean, that's you, an entirely different You guys store. serve fun and food. So. And, and if there was a Mount Rushmore of CNBC, you're on oh, it. Oh, you're too Right or right. He's one of the four. Right or right? You're right, given the uh, choice. question? Oh, I don't remember. It's October. Is anything From different? October, you know, I don't think anything's different at all, other than the fact that the market's come back in a significant way. When the S&P was down 5 5.5% a couple weeks ago, Mel looked at me and said, Guy, what do you think? I said, Mel, I think we got another 8 9% to the downside. She said, really? I said, really? Now, you know what? It got down about 11 11.5%. I thought it had another 3%. I was wrong. With that said, the headwinds, in my opinion, are still there. The headwinds, you talked to Steve Leifson. In fact, the Fed is still in play, without question. And on your show at Power Lunch today, you talked to Mr. Kovacevic. We did. Who said that if the Fed doesn't move in December, I think you used the word catastrophic or crash or something like that. So those headwinds are still in place, Ty. What? Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I actually think the market has changed a bit. The sell-off that we had in October told you that equity investors think that the economy is slowing down. But you look at the bond market, the bond market's telling you all signs are great, everything's fantastic. So either the bond market's right or the stock market's right, and we still haven't hit new highs in the stock market. So I do think something's changed over the last month. So, Dan, what did the market need to digest in October that's different now? If, if he's right and, and they were worried that the economy was slowing down, they should still be worried that the economy is well, slowing down, I, I, right? I think BK makes a really good point. When you look at equity markets the world over, our equity markets are the only ones that are up, okay? When you think about Europe and you think about Asia, a lot of them are considerably in correction territory right now. So I think global investors have been pricing an economic slowdown for some time. The U.S., though, has been this really interesting pocket of positive sentiment. When you think about a handful of names, you know what they are. It's the MAGA. It's the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon. In October 1st, they made up three and a half <laughs> trillion a dollars in yeah. market cap, and they were making up for a disproportionate amount of the performance here in the U.S. We were already in a bear market. So if you think about it through the lens of equity investors, then you overlay that we have the 10-year back at 323. You have your dollar index breaking out to uh, back towards highs, getting close to 97 again. There's a lot of potential headwinds. And then you throw in the situation with trade, and that is a thing that has the ability to really damp down global growth expectations. And trade is really months. what it's all about, in my opinion. I mean, we got to the midterm. Did the election matter? Did the we, election yes, matter? I think it did because it just did prove that a lot of people said, well, it's priced into the markets, Tyler. It clearly wasn't with the kind of a move that we got yesterday, right? And now today, everybody's just still trying to digest everything. So you're now focused on Fed and the Fed's. They've been so transparent, they're going to raise, obviously, in December, right? Probably do two to three next year. But they still will be looking for the data and be data dependent on all of this. The real trade right now is, is are we going to do anything in terms of the trade itself? The tariffs, right? I mean, that's what I think this market is trading off of right now. And when we get on positive days, it's because people feel like, you know what? 
President Trump is finally going to sit down with Xi and they're going to work something out at some point. But that's what everybody's focused on now. I think the Fed's transparency gets that less of a ugliness in terms of the market right now. And once we got through the midterms, now people understand there's going to be checks and balances. There's going to be a House and a Senate, different sides. It's going to check with the president for sure. And that's going to keep things somewhat in line. I actually think all three of those things matter. I mean, trade matters, no question about it. Number one. But the Fed matters too, because again, the Fed, the market is telling you the Fed may be making a mistake. Then add in the dollar, as Dan mentioned. You know what I feel? The dollar is the new VIX. The higher that goes, the more risk there is in the global economy. I think all three of those. We argue about which one, which one. It's all three of those it, it, that are a concern well, for this market. You know, I would just add one other point. So October is really volatile. November has the potential to really obviously be like some sort of consolidation phase. When we get close to that G20, and if nothing comes out is re- regarding trade, there's expectations are getting very high. I think that's a huge mistake for investors. And then you get to December 19th, and you have this Fed meeting, and they did not have, they had a small statement today. You know, they're going to have a press conference. They're going to have a press conference. Yeah. And, and every I, meeting going December after December has yeah. the potential to be a very volatile a month, in my opinion. Listen, I th- you don't want to talk one, two, three. I think it's 1A, 1B, and 1C in terms of importance. And I agree with Pete. The tariffs are important. But, you know, we say when the president, our president, is ready to make a deal, there's going to be a deal made. I think that's totally incorrect. I don't think the Chinese are in any rush to make a deal, quite frankly, nor should they be. And the President Trump will say correctly that their markets are down 30 percent, ours down is 4 or 5 percent. I get it. Through his lens, we're winning. But that's not – I don't think that's what the Chinese look at. I think they're playing a 5 to 10-year game. They can play a long a game. Five minute they can game. play a long game Three. and probably take more pain – I would, you know, but they've person experienced to person. a lot of pain. I would say already they've already started to feel some of the pain, and I think that they would want to sit down and try to get something figured out. And the fact that we don't have anything figured out right now, Tyler, that's what we really heard from the industrials, right? I mean, when you, we went through the earnings season so far, I think we're 75 percent through the S&P earnings. When we've gone through it, that's been what what's really been the concern right now has been. There's no visibility going forward for a lot of these companies, so their guidance is very difficult, very cloudy for everybody to read through. Feels to me like the story of 2019 is going to be, not necessarily in this order, trade, number one, interest rates, number two, and how the markets react to probably decelerating corporate profit growth. Listen, you guys, there was one statement in that statement that that everyone said was a big snoozer. It was about CapEx. It was about corporate CapEx here. And that was the thing that is decelerated from the first half of the year, the thing that those tax cuts were targeted at the end of last year. So if we start anniversarying those as we get into the beginning of 2019, that is a huge, huge problem, especially now that you have this divided government and you do not really have the potential for the sort of tax cut that could kind of get things juiced the way we did the first half of this year. This is fun hanging with you guys. Yeah, I like this. Fun hanging with you, T-Mat. Very, very, very very good. T-Mat, what do you think? T-Mat. Hey, T-Mat. All righty. Our next guest says the market is hovering near a key level, and we could be shaping up for a year-end rally. Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com is over at the plasma. He's got plasma to break down the charts. Todd, what do you see? Hey, Tyler. Yeah, a lot of discussion going on about the 200-day moving average. And a lot of people get very excited. It's broken the 200-day, so do you buy or sell? This chart that I'm going to show you says do neither. Just be aware that you're in a very big period of conflict. So to put it in context here, this is the S&P since the credit crisis low. And I'm going to show you three examples of times that we've attacked the 200-day and then gone into consolidation. Number one here is right around 2010. Again, here in 2012, a third time all the way up here in 2015 into 16. What you'll see is each occurrence lasts approximately 92 days, 100 days, 
144 days. So what does that mean as we bring it to the, to the current market situation? I would say the first time we've attacked the moving average, the 200-day is right around October 10th. So if history is any guide to what's going to happen in the future, you tack 100 days onto October 11th, that puts you roughly into uh, March 1. So what could that mean with everything you guys are talking about in the desks? It could mean a period of very high back-and-forth consolidation, whipsaw, nightmare for investors, maybe a very good opportunity for traders. So I would say don't try to trade the breakouts or breakdowns now on a trend basis. you got to be nimble in here. But, as I've said, if we are going to scoop some longs, there's two strong sectors that we like. Number one, consumer discretionary, XLY. We did the 200-day moving average stop run. We snapped back above it. Again, I'm not looking for an all-out breakout, but you nibble traders could try to test back up to the old highs at about 115. Let me show you this. This is the relative strength. We're taking the S&P divided by XLY, which is your consumer staples. You're starting to see this ratio turn up, which means consumer discretionary is starting to outperform the S&P. You've got Amazon, Home Depot, McDonald's. Those are your two top or your three holdings in XLY. All are starting to come back here, led by XLY. Uh, sorry, Amazon at 20%. The other one, no surprise, this is a very clean, strong chart. It's healthcare, XLV. We couldn't even get below the 200-day. Talk about a nice, clean test there. Right back up the highs. Maybe we have a little bit of a consolidation here. That would form what we call an inverse, kind of head and shoulders. That guy might have the ability to go up and break out to new highs. So I like XLV, XLY, and a range-bound S&P. Looks like a demonic symbol he just drew. Oh, don't there. say that. Yeah. No, why? Yeah. 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 Well, that looked just like a hieroglyphic. It, it was something. It was something. Fast money. There you go. Important. Hey, Todd, there. I got a quick question for you. Right. That very first chart that you showed of the S and P 500. Yeah. You talked about that hundred days going all the way out to March. So you're expecting to see volatility really start to accelerate back into the market after we were at the. 20, call it to 28 in that very big, large movement we had, now back to 16. But you're expecting to see volatility spike back up above 20 again, maybe even over 30 from the looks of the chart. And you're talking VIX, right? You're talking yes. VIX, right? I think, you know what, 12 is probably the new 20 in the VIX. So this is, this is, this is trading days. This is not calendar or, or weeks. You're talking 100 trading days. Maybe that new norm is a 20 VIX support. Yeah, we could have a real period of back and forth there in the S&P. So, you know, as a trader, stay nimble. Maybe use options, right, Pete? Yep. Um, but, yeah, expect high volatility to stay. All right, Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Thanks very much. Guy, what do you think? Well, I more, think well, more volatility? Oh, without question. I think Pedro would say the same thing, although yeah, the yeah. VIX is now below 20. But, I, you know, I thought the VIX was going to top out at 30. But let me mention one specific stock that he mentioned, he being Todd. McDonald's, <laughs> I think we've all been universally extraordinarily bullish on McDonald's for good reason. The stock has been unbelievable, and I think it made an all-time high within the last couple days, if not today. You look at their margins, outstanding the last quarter was great. But you know what? At a certain point, valuation is going to matter. And at close to 23 times next year's earnings, in my opinion, McDonald's might be getting ahead of itself. And a lot of stocks find themselves in that type of, uh, in that sort of circle of maybe we should be taking profits here. I think you got to be tactical, is what, what I take away from what Todd is saying. You're in a market that is not easy to trade. It's not going to be like the last several years. You got to take your profits when you have them, and you got to buy the dips when you can, and just trade around this market. You have to be tactical. This goes by really fast, guys. Coming up, check out shares of Disney jumping after reporting earnings. We will tell you what Bob Iger just said that has shareholders so excited. Plus, there's a new driver at Tesla as the company names a chair to oversee Elon Musk. 
So who is she and what does it mean for the stock? We'll explain. And later, retail stocks have been ripping higher. But could the group be heading for a Black Friday backlash? We've got the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City, and there is much more. Fast Money right after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All righty, welcome back to Fast Money. The question on every Tesla lover's mind just got answered. One longtime board member has been appointed to fill the chairmanship, taking the reins from CEO Elon Musk. And Phil LeBeau joins us from Chicago with more on the news. Hi, Phil. Hey, Tyler, the new chairwoman, not just chairman, chairwoman of Tesla is Robin Denholm. She has been on the Tesla board since 2014. She is the current CFO of Telstra, telecommunications firm in Australia. She'll be leaving that job to take the full-time position of Tesla chairwoman, former CFO of Juniper Networks, former Toyota executive. She's no dummy. She understands what Tesla and the auto industry is all about. But it brings up the question, what does the future hold for Elon Musk, and what will his role at Tesla be like now that there's somebody other than him in that chairman position, at least for the next three years. Well, remember, he remains CEO of Tesla. And while Robin Denholm and Elon Musk have said, look, it's great, we'll work together, this is a company that still marches to the drumbeat of Elon Musk. In other words, Robin Denholm will be engaged, and everybody who I've talked to today who is familiar with her says, look, she's going to be a good chairwoman. At the end of the day, this is still Elon Musk's company, and Elon Musk still holds massive influence in terms of the direction of this company, even as they look to add two more independent directors. Finally, take a look at shares of Tesla versus the S&P 500, and we're looking at this over the last three years. The reason we're bringing this up is because Macquarie is out with a research note saying, look, it's possible that Tesla could get added to the S&P 500. Now, this is not going to happen overnight. Remember, to even qualify to be selected for the S&P 500, the company has got to have four profitable quarters in a row. They had their first one in the third quarter. Elon Musk says they're profitable from here on out, Tyler. Let's see what happens over the next, this quarter and the fourth quarter and the first quarter and the second quarter of next year. Then maybe that conversation about the S&P 500 can be revisited. All right, Phil, thank you very much. Uh, BK, what do you think this does to the stock? I mean, uh, I, I mean, Musk is still, what, the number one shareholder, right? Number one shareholder, and also it's this person was part of the board, and that's been part of the problem. They're the ones that kind of oversaw this, this meltdown and didn't really do anything about it. So I would call it a half step. A lot of people, including myself, were hoping there'd be something like when Sheryl Sandberg came in and, and came into Facebook. This is not that at all, in my view. I think it's a half step. You still have to have somebody independent. The board is also the issue here, and Elon is not getting rid of this company. He's still going to be. In She's charge. kind of an inside outsider, isn't she? It's I mean, would they years. have done better? Would they have done better to go outside? I, I, Do you know? I mean, you, have a you pick the right person. If somebody like Tom Rogers, for example, who's going to be on the show later, <laughs> they sort of tapped him on the shoulder. Stock would be five hundred dollars a share. There's going to be somebody <laughs> on Squawk Box tomorrow that said this is the next trillion dollar company. I don't know about that, but I'll say this, and I'm not going to pretend I've been right over the last couple of months because I have not been. 
But if you look and see what Tesla the stock was doing before Elon Musk tweeted funding secured, that stock was going straight up. Things were the, the trajectory was higher. And this last quarter should have just built upon that. And I asked Gene Munster this. I said, Gene, if you can back out that whole little foray, would this stock be trading four and a quarter? And he said probably it would be given the last quarter. That's very interesting. You know, since since that moment there in the summer where he where he blurted that out and then he did the interview with the with the New York Times and then he did the uh, podcast with uh, Rogan. Uh, it was down. But that stock has come back a well, lot. Well, you know, listen, I, I actually think the most important podcast was Kara Swisher's last week with Rico. Yes. It was very sober. Yes. He got into a lot of detail. But I think there's an issue with that conversation, too, is that he said that they expect to be profitable from here on out. This stock has just gone from, what, 260 270 up to $350 now. And so all of a sudden, expectations are very high again. And I just don't think that's the sort of messaging that they need at this point um, because you're just setting yourself up for failure. All righty. From more on what's next for Tesla, head on over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Mom is always right. And that's exactly what retailers are banking on for the holiday season, with more deals than ever. But will the dash for discounts crush the stocks? Plus, it's game on, as the biggest gaming stocks in the space try to take on Fortnite. But the traders think there's only one stock that can be called the gaming king. We'll tell you what it is. Much more Fast Money after this. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. ESPN had its best uh, quarter in quite a while in terms of sub-losses. And what we're seeing there is continued erosion in terms of traditional subs, but the growth in the digital MVPDs continued uh, through not only the year, but the quarter. And so the sub-losses were abated substantially. That was Disney's chairman and CEO Bob Iger speaking with Julia Borston about business at ESPN right after the company reported a big earnings beat. The stock up just 1% after hours. Pete, you've been a longtime Disney uh, yeah. holder booster. What do you think? Well, I, I like the numbers they put up. It's great to hear about ESPN because forever that was something that was held out there for all of us to say, hey, look, look at this great crown jewel, right? But the problem's been the erosion that they've had. And if that's slowing, that's obviously something that's very positive. But they crushed the earnings, crushed on the revenue. I think what they're doing is the right thing. Were they a little bit late to going to the direction to compete with the Netflix of the world? Absolutely. But they, this acquisition that they've made is giving them a huge piece of Hulu, which I think is great as well. There's a lot of positives now. But going forward, still love to see a succession plan in place of some sort. 
that we don't really have any view of right now. And the other thing is, how fast are they going to be able to roll out this competition to get into the face of Netflix into the future? I think it'll come along very quickly now, but it's been a long time coming. We had on two people earlier today on Power Lunch, one of whom said the stock is going to 95, and Mario Gabelli who said the stock is going to 150. Where are you guys? So, well, I think the 95 days are probably in the rearview mirror for a while. And we'll talk back in the spring. This stock was floundering. It was trading $99.5. Petey was over there. There were a few of us in the middle. Mel was sitting. And all of a sudden, it was announced that gambling was legalized. And we talked about it on the show. We said that might be the lifeline that Disney, the stock, needs. Whether justified or not, the stock has rallied some 17.5%, 18%. So I think the ESPN woes are largely behind them. Now it just comes down to valuation. Are you comfortable with Disney at a 16.5%, 17 times forward multiple, where the rest of the space is probably half of that? In uh, August of 2015, when the stock topped out near 122, it was trading above 20 times. So here you are. You have a lot more clarity on some of these businesses that were really put the stock under pressure. Where did it go down to 80-something over mm -hmm. the next? So, uh, I mean, at this point, this stock's going to make a new high with a stable market right here. It's got a reasonable valuation, and they've really kind of changed the narrative a bit. And once you get this uh, other acquisition done, you have this big chunk of Hulu, they can start really start talking about the future as far as how they're going to deliver this unique content. All right, let's bring in Tom Rogers. Longtime media executive uh, who was the first president of NBC Cable, starting CNBC, also NBC's former chief strategist, uh, former CEO of TiVo, currently executive chairman of the sports gaming and gambling company WinView, and a CNBC contributor. Tom, good to have you here. Good to be here. Thank you, know, you for the intro. Pete made the, uh, Pete made the point that they have moved into streaming, but maybe not fast enough. Is that the way you feel. Well, the biggest issue Disney had this quarter is stopping people from spreading the ashes of their dead relatives around the Disney parks. Um, but the stock is clearly not dead. It's alive, as uh, Pete said. Mario actually said earlier today he, he thought as much as 200 yep. in the next two years. Um, but I don't see a new life here. Uh, the sports story, as optimistic as he was about ESPN, churn for the last quarter generally was terrible. Uh, people thought it was getting better in the, in the second quarter. In the third quarter, churn across the industry got worse. Dish and DirecTV, which are a third of that, the churn was horrendous. The new skinny bundles, digital guys, are not really making up for that. So I don't quite understand the optimism. And there. the cord cutting is still happening. Cord cutting, cord is, cutting is still, still happening. happening. It's You're going to stay. They're going to end up paying a lot more for sports rights too. Yeah, going uh, forward. To, to Guy's point, uh, the big savior for the sports networks and people involved in sports marketing is this massive new source of gaming revenue and gaming gambling revenue. Bang. They're going to inherit through the Fox acquisition about 10% of DraftKings. But my prediction is. Disney, because of the Disney brand, is not a first-in mover. Well, that's a, that was what I was going to ask you. And that, that's, that's not grabbing what's there. It seems to me that there is an opportunity. And you guys jump in here. There is an opportunity for a dedicated sports betting channel. But I don't know that that fits with Disney's brand. Well, it might down the road. I don't think they're going to move quickly. And you know first mover means a lot in any of these businesses. I was surprised at Julia's earlier interview that... The Fox acquisition got very little mention. Uh, that ended up being a smaller deal than it looked like. They're going to get about 30 million of that 70, 30 billion of that 70 billion in consideration back by the spinoff of, of Sky, Sky and other assets. Mm -hmm. 
but they end up with no sports story here. They're getting rid of the regional sports channels. Justice won't let them own it. Sky is going to Comcast, so the whole Sky Sports, European sports expansion story isn't there. Uh, yes, he mentioned Nat Geo, but look, Nat Geo and FX do not a Netflix make. And uh, very interesting commentary out of, out of Todd Younger, the media analyst, great media analyst out of Bernstein that Disney was beginning to look more like it was creating a CBS All Access than a new Netflix. CBS All Access going to be happy with 16 million subscribers over the next couple years. Obviously, Netflix is at 100 million, growing to 300 million. If he's right, that's a whole different game. And I was surprised in Julia's earlier interview, Iger didn't say that with this new studio superpower, the only studio superpower out there, that they aren't going to be expanding the number of films. If they're going after Netflix, you would expect an expanded film slate, and I didn't hear that at all. So I don't think they're going to be suffering the earnings dilution that people were worried about with putting out $14 billion of new programming costs the way that Netflix, Netflix will be spending is. by yeah. the end of next year. But you got to have more modest ambitions about what this thing looks like. I didn't hear a new life. Stocks alive, great consumer economy. The parks will do fantastically in that, but it isn't transformational in terms of anything I. Heard. Pete, you had a question. I think. Well, in terms of the gambling, and Guy brought this up, and we talked about it that night when they talked about the gambling. And I know you're very heavily involved in that world. How big is it, and is that something that they should be much more aggressive with in terms of the approach from from Disney? I don't think there's any doubt they should be more aggressive. You got to grab that because you got Amazon, you got you got Google, you got Facebook, all looking at sports rights. If you're the leader in sports rights and you're worried about declining ratings, declining subscriber fees, and you got to look for a new revenue base to hang on to those rights to be the front front bidder, uh, the last thing you want to do is give up that new big source of revenue to somebody else. Guy, one of Pete's. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jump me, fight for it. Jump <laughs> off. <laughs> fight here. Um, Video game stocks have just gotten annihilated in the last couple months. And when you think about this kind of grab for content over the last couple of years, do you think that a, a Disney would move into maybe electronic arts? Do you see the potential for synergies, especially as we see all this with eSports? Uh, I think eSports is going to be huge. I think that eSports as an opportunity, given the demographics that uh, are actively engaged in eSports more than television sports viewing. Certainly if I was looking to expand a sports franchise, I would go heavily at eSports. Uh, you know, most of the successful games, big money games, are shoot 'em up games so far. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that's going to change near term. But over the long haul, I think eSports is going to be huge. Pete, too, is a big one in Pete there. Pete mentioned this. Bob Iger is synonymous, synonymous with Disney. Is succession plan important in your mind? Uh, in terms of the transformation of a company, succession plan is everything. Um, I think you got to really understand what you do to maneuver through a thicket of massively big companies just in the sports right arena, guys who can bid on sports and it not bother their bottom line at all relative to how it would impact a, a Disney. Uh, but look, this thing's in great shape. The stock's very much alive. Mario's as good a stock prognosticator as anybody in terms of where this thing could go in the near term. I think in terms of long-term transformation, succession means a lot. All right, Tom, thank you very much. Great to be with Great. you. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Us. Thanks for awesome. being with us. All right, coming up, check out shares of Activision Blizzard, or Blizzard, plunging in the after hours, and the gaming stock is stuck in a bear market despite blockbuster sales. So what gives? We'll hear from the CEO. Plus, retailers have been soaring, but with the holidays around the corner, some of the biggest players could be diving right into major 
Black Friday backlash. Say that five times fast. We will explain <laughs> much more Fast Money Ahead. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. Retail stocks ripping higher ahead of the Super Bowl of shopping Black Friday. And some of the biggest players are pulling out all the stops to lure in shoppers ahead, ahead of the holiday season. Let's go to our very own Courtney Reagan with all the details. Courtney. Hi, Tyler. Well, this year, retailers' Black Friday plans are all about convenience and offering online deals weeks in advance. Walmart is offering almost all its Black Friday deals online on Wednesday, November 21st at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That's two hours earlier than last year and hours earlier than Target's online doorbusters, which start early Thursday morning. In-store, Walmart's deals will start at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. That's the same as last year, but shoppers can fuel up with free coffee and cookies at Walmart stores starting at 4 o'clock. Target's opening at 5. That is an hour earlier and staying open an hour later than last year. Best Buy, Kohl's, Macy's, those doorbusters also start at 5 p.m. JCPenney leads the pack, opening doors at 2 o'clock on Thanksgiving. Both Walmart and Target will have associates throughout the store checking out shoppers with mobile checkout technology to lessen the time that you wait in line. Amazon, Target, and Best Buy, they're all waiving minimum purchase for free shipping throughout the holiday season. Walmart, though, is sticking with a $35 minimum for free shipping. Kohl's sticking with $50 and Macy's at $99. Walmart and Best Buy are offering some of those doorbuster deals online today. Other retailers have already done similar. This year, those goalposts are moving. Stores are opening earlier. Deals are being offered online earlier than ever before. And shipping is free and getting faster. Tyler. All right, Courtney, thank you very much. So while all these wheels and deals may be great for the consumer, could it actually bring the retail rally to a screeching halt, Pete? I will never in my life go to anything called a doorbuster. I promise you. <laughs> Come on, man. I will never, ever I'm do it. I'm the king of doorbusters. I will not be lured. I am, I am I will Black not Friday be all the way, baby. I'm that guy. But Black Friday's now Wednesday. No, I, I know. I realize that. No, I'll tell you what's interesting, though. When you got somebody like Target out there and a lot of these guys who offer the, the e-commerce side of things when they're doing the online, a lot of the time it's you order online, then you go pick it up. Well, oftentimes, they can get delivery, too, but a lot of people like to go over there, pick it up, and then you, what do they end up doing? They actually end up shopping at times. So you are still getting people oftentimes into these stores, not just getting the e-commerce side of it, but you're actually getting them in the store for one other item that they decided the they want to get. The deals are great for me. The, the free shipping is yeah. great for me, but yeah. it may not be great for I, the I company. Think, I think you're asking the right question. You know, we're seeing this stuff about employment at record lows. We're seeing wage increases, but we're also now starting to hear about all these things that are kind of getting consumers to, to buy earlier, giving them free shipping. All I have to think for the retail stocks that this is the last gasp. As far as into this uh, holiday season, we're going to see real a, a lot of just discounting, and we're going to see pressure on margins because of all this free shipping. I, but I mean, so look me, at I think you fade this rally. Yeah, I think you fade. Into, look at look at what really started this retail rally. It was short covering. The big trade this year among hedge funds was long Amazon, short retailers like a Macy, and on the lowest of the lows at the end of October. You you saw Macy's drop, Amazon ripping people, unwinding that position. So to me, I don't think there's a lot of fuel behind this. Then you get into some sort of Black Friday price war. There's even pre-Black Friday sales. That's not a direction you want to go in, so you fade it.
Fade the rally. Fade BK, BK thank you. All right, coming up, Dropbox and Activision on the move. After earnings, we will bring you the latest on those reports, including what was said about the latest Call of Duty game. It was meant to be the Fortnite killer, mm. but did the game's Battle Royale mode live up to the hype? We will hear what the CEO had to say. Much more Fast Money after this. There's a lot of misbehaving that goes on here right in the breaks. <laughs> misbehaving. All right, welcome back. Fast Money. Activision getting crushed after hours. Crushed on earnings. This just a month after the video game giant took the fight to Fortnite with the latest title in its Call of Duty franchise. Deidre Bosa's got the results of the call from Vancouver. Deidre. Hey, Tyler. Well, shares sinking in the after hours on its holiday quarter outlook and drop in monthly active users. Total MAUs fell for a third straight quarter to $345 million from $352 million in Q2. Now, King Division MAUs declined the most, while Activision MAUs, they were up by $1 million quarter over quarter. And this is the division that includes that title you just mentioned, Call of Duty Black Ops 4. Now, on the earnings call, analysts pressed the developer on Black Ops 4 performance. Have a listen. Our engagement to date is better than any Call of Duty content in recent years, and spectator viewing is higher than ever before. As a franchise, Call of Duty has now generated more revenue than the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the box office, and double that of the cumulative box office of Star Wars. So impressive numbers, but this latest Call of Duty release is so important to the company because of its blackout battle royale mode. This is its answer to Fortnite's runaway success. In October, the company said that global sales exceeded half a billion dollars in the first three days, but that disappointed investors who wanted more. Activision Blizzard saying on the call that they're confident and energized by its performance so far. But Tyler, Fortnite killer, that remains to be seen, and it doesn't quite look like investors are convinced of that yet. All right, Deidre, thanks very much. For more on what the results mean for Activision, let's get uh, our game on with Michael Sepso. Oh, listen to that. He's a former SVP at Activision and the co-founder of one of North America's first esports organizations, also an investor in Activision. What was the most important thing in this uh, earnings report? I think what people are missing is the digital transition that the entire sector is doing. We're still away from buying discs in a store. Discs. We're still thinking about unit sales. It doesn't really matter anymore. If you listen to what the management said, it was all about reach, engagement, and player investment, meaning how many people are they getting, how long are they staying in the games, and how are they spending in the game. It's not about what's being sold at a GameStop or Best Buy. It's about how long are the players playing, and are they continuing to buy in the game. The other important thing that I took from the earnings call was, I think everybody missed this, they're projecting over $4 billion in, uh, in revenue this year from in-game purchases. That's more, that's more than half of the total revenue mix. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. So that's a huge deal. This is what happens when my son comes to me and says, Dad, <laughs> Dad, can I buy this? And I said, well, you already bought it. And I, and I have no concept that what he's really buying is some sticker or slick or some additional powers, right? Yeah, and that's where the revenue growth that's is. That's where the revenue growth is. That's where the industry is moving. And the, obviously, the margins are a lot better if you're not going through a physical brick-and-mortar store. You're just going direct to consumer. They have all the data at that point, and they're closer to the consumer. I think uh, the other important thing, if your son's playing Fortnite, and I know we're going to talk about he the, is. The, battle, the Battle Royale games, uh, the people that are at home playing Blackout right now paid $60 for it initially, and then they're going to buy stuff in the game. The people playing Fortnite didn't buy anything when they got to the game. It's a free download game. I think this is a massive difference in the model. 
Activision is doing a great job of making that digital. If the revenue happen. numbers are as strong, Mr. Kotick said, uh, talked all about that, and, and you just cited it. Why did the stocks, in a word my son would use, suck? I, Ooh. I, oh, <laughs> you're bringing it hard. Uh, <laughs> I'm quoting him. I, I would Team never Mac. use such words. I got to be honest with you. I, I'm perplexed. I really don't know. I, I'm looking at the whole sector now and thinking, I, I can't believe why this isn't a huge buy opportunity. Uh, Take-Two did earnings yesterday. Their digital sales were up significantly. Their new Red Dead Redemption is a great game. It's performing incredibly well. They've got a little bit of an eSports exposure with their NBA 2K game. I think eSports, your last guest I saw said eSports is going to be the future. Obviously, I believe that. I've been in the industry for 16 years. Uh, Activision's invested more than anybody of all the public companies in the sector in esports, and they have kind of the great product, greatest product out there, I think, right now. The floor is may, open. May I ask? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. The floor is open. Go ahead, fella. The floor Dan, is open. Dan danced around this earlier with Tom Rogers, <laughs> who, by the way, Tom Rogers stud. Stud. Are we allowed Total to say stud. that? Yeah. Yes. And I just. Said I can it. say the stud. other. But, but you know, you cap. look at you look and Dan sort of talked about this. These stocks are now getting sort of cheap, even on a valuation basis. Is it Disney or are there somebody out there looking at these? As my question is, Electronic Arts, precipitous drop. Activision, precipitous drop. To a certain extent, Take-Two as well. Are they for sale, do you think? Would a company come in and gobble these companies up? I don't know. I mean, I guess Disney could at the right size. But I think, you know, when you look at, so there's a difference between the stocks, right? Take-Two's got uh, a couple of huge titles, huge franchises that are original IP that they own 100% of. Activision Blizzard, all original IP, basically. In incredible franchises. They just said, you know, Call of Duty historically has done double the revenue of Star Wars box office historically. That's a huge franchise to own. That's amazing. EA is a little different. It's mostly licensed content. So I don't know if they're as, as big of a buy opportunity or maybe because of the, the kind of content they're licensing, licensing, especially Star Wars, that it does become more of a buy opportunity for Disney. You know, I think Activision's ambition is to be the next Disney, not to be acquired by it. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm looking at you guys as like, why, are, why is this sector down so much? What's the trade? That I'll, I'll hit you right here. I mean, we saw this in social media names that were valued over monthly active users and engagement. And when you saw that turn down a few years ago in Twitter, for, the stock got cut in half. I mean, so sure. it depends how these stocks are being viewed by investors as milestones. And so if they're trying to get away from the units, and we just saw this with Apple is trying to do this too, there's going to be a bit of a period where people are starting to digest what that new business model is. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Let's trade the sector, guys. What do you like, BK? Well, I'm still with Mike on this. I actually think it's a buying opportunity at this point, and particularly if you're talking about a longer-term play. I mean, we're talking about ESPN is now covering e-gaming. Uh, Bobby Kotick talked about the audience out there. People aren't just playing these games. They're watching it. So it's a massive market here, I think, on any weakness you buy them. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your being here. Fantastic. Speaking of the gaming stocks, check out the Kramer cam, the madman himself, speaking to the CEO of Take-Two, Strauss Zelnick, about his company and uh, staying ahead of the competition. Tune in at the top of the hour for that. But first, check out shares of Dropbox, the cloud company soaring after hours. Could be a sign for another name and a good sign for another name in the space. We'll explain as Fast Money picks up right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Got an earnings alert. Dropbox soaring nearly 7% after hours following its earnings report. Josh Lipton just sat down with Dropbox's CEO, Drew Houston, at the company's headquarters out in San Francisco. Hi, Josh. 
Tyler, so Dropbox reporting here paying users $12.3 million in the quarter. That was better than expected. Also, ARPU, so average revenue per paying user, $118.60 in the quarter. That was also stronger than expected. So I did sit down with CEO uh, Drew Houston. I asked him about that metric specifically. What explained that strength in the quarter? Here's what he had to tell me. We see that as a measure of how much value we're driving per subscriber. Um, and the way we drive value per su subscriber is make the product better. And so uh, there's a number of improvements we've made in this quarter in the last few quarters. Uh, and you think about new features in Dropbox like SmartSync and a feature called Showcase, which is about richer sharing. Those are driving higher and higher adoption of our premium individual plans and the business version of Dropbox. Now on the call, the company's CFO also given guidance. Q4 revenue 367 to 370. The street was at 364. Also, the CFO saying they're going to be raising their guidance for the year on revenue, operating margins, and free cash flow. Tyler, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you very much. The stock up strongly uh, right now, but down 13% uh, or so for the year. Guy, would you buy it? Yes, and you know, I just turned it down. I said, if you can get comfortable with valuation in this, you buy it. One, because it's had a big sell-off. Two, and Josh, who, by the way, is also... You're a big fan of Magnum P.I.? I mean, yeah. Josh Lipton is, is Tom Selleck, reincarnated. But I digress. Operating margins Minus up almost 13. I mean, pardon me? <laughs> and he's Minus got a beard, a not foot. just a mustache. I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But it the, is ridiculous. I'll tell you what was ridiculous. The operating margin's close to 13%. Stream is nice looking number. for 8.5%. I think the stock goes higher from here. Anybody it's else like growth. it? Yeah. If that's what you're buying here, you're buying the growth. You don't have to worry about the valuation as long as you have the growth. If the growth goes away, you got a problem. I think you drop the drop box and you get into the box. Ooh, I think that wow, one has been absolutely you, really. slayed, and I see a massive opportunity that box. one at 19. Box. B-O-X. 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 Speaking of the cloud stocks, options, traders are betting on even more gains. For another name in the space, Salesforce. Dan, yeah, we got to take go us through it. Invented the enterprise cloud here, and that's Salesforce.com. Um, you know, call volume was two times that of put today. Kind of hot here, um, and there was the most active strike were the December. Uh, 150 calls, about 3,200 of them traded on average, about 350 throughout the day. A lot of those looked opening, and they looked like they're bought. And what is traders targeting? Possibly their earnings in about 20 days. They're going to report their Q3. Um, listen, that's a really tough way, I'm sure Pete will agree, to look out that far out of the money and be buying calls in a name where option prices are very expensive. Real quickly, maybe why that 150 strike? We have a one-year chart here. That thing went into correction. It was down 20%, peak to trough. It broke down at 150. Look at where 150 is. That is the intersection of the uptrend from the 52-week lows and that breakdown level. So that seems like a level that traders are targeting into their Q3 print Pete, at the end of the month. One Reaction? of the best CEOs, I think, of anybody out there is Benioff. And I like what they're doing. They've done an amazing job of spending their money when they've needed to or to acquire other companies. I think of the cloud names. This one's my number one. All right, number one pick there. Gentlemen, thank you very much. For more Options Action, you can check out the full show. That would be tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Options Action, up next, Final Trades. Love this. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete, you first. There's nobody better out there than Lululemon. Whoo, doggy, this thing's going higher. All right, BK. You know, people don't like oil here. I think Countertrain XOP, you buy that one. Uh -huh. All right. You know, Tyler, you just caught. He, Pete had his Lulus in a bunch. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, they don't the run bunch. That's okay. the beauty. They but don't run. You no want to go the athleisure. You go with the no Nike. Bunching. I think you see that thing above 80 before the end of the year. Giddy up. 
Athleisure. Yeah. How much fun did you have? I had How a blast. Tell, you guys tell, were tell them, tell the audience. Look at this vest. So he looks like a million I love this. This was, was awesome. crazy, right? Awesome like, stuff. Like two shakes of a lamb's tail, yeah. this thing I goes. I love that. that was really it goes by fiction. <gasps> you know what's going up fast? Tell me. Discovery Communications. That comes out D-I-S-C-A there, Tyler. Back to you. Disco, a little disco, right? Well, Gentlemen, thank you very much. This was a blast. It was amazing. I really had fun. I really had fun. All right, that does it for us. Mad Money with Jim Cramer will begin in just a few seconds' time. Great to be with you all. That was awesome. Time. I love that. That was awesome. That was awesome awesome stuff. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.